We continue during the season of Easter. Uh, this week we turn our attention to Luke chapter 24, a passage that's often referred to as the walk to Emmaus. It happens on that very first Easter, and so our story today is just hours after the news of the resurrection. We'll pick up with Luke 24, beginning at verse 13. Now that same day, that is Easter, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what is said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he broke bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, open our eyes that we might see Jesus in your scriptures, but also in our relationships with one another. And the power of fellowship, may we discover the resurrected Christ. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Our absence from one another really reminds me of the power of fellowship. Our longing to be together, the sadness that we feel right now at being separated, underscores just how important fellowship is for us. When we come together, something powerful, even mysterious, happens. Just look at the story of these two walking away from Jerusalem. These are disciples, people that had followed Jesus. 
But now they're walking away. They are leaving Jerusalem discouraged, defeated. They've given up. They are leaving the movement, quitting, done with. They say it themselves, we had hoped that he would be the one who would deliver Israel. They had hoped. They had given up. It was over with. They had hoped that Jesus would deliver Israel. Now, what they were talking about almost certainly was that they had hoped Jesus would deliver Israel from Rome. Everybody expected the Messiah to set Israel free from foreign oppressors. That's what they'd stake their hope on in Jesus. And he didn't do that. And so for them, Jesus was a failure. Even though they had followed him, they were now walking away, leaving the movement defeated because for them, Jesus had failed to be what they thought he was supposed to be. They quit. And yet Jesus chases them down. They're leaving Jerusalem, heading to Emmaus, and Jesus comes and walks with them. Let that sink in. Let that beautiful truth of the gospel sink in. These two were deserting Jesus. They didn't believe the, they didn't completely believe the resurrection. They'd heard about it, but it wasn't enough. They were quitting the movement. They were walking away. They were done. These no longer really believed. And Jesus chases them down anyway. Jesus comes to walk along these people who had given up on him. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that an incredible thought that Jesus pursues the ones who don't believe? I believe that's true. Jesus walked with them all the way to Emmaus and, and he begins to open up the scriptures to them. He teaches them all that the Old Testament had to say about him. He, he unlocks the mysteries of the Old Testament and how they talk about the promise of Messiah. And he actually makes the case to them why they're all fulfilled in him. So Jesus explains to these two how everything that happened to Jesus is what the prophets had said would happen. If the gospel has ever been presented more clearly, I don't know who would have done it. Surely Jesus' explanation was the best ever. If being convinced of the facts were enough to make one Christian, they should have been convinced. If getting all of the facts in order is all that's required, then they should have caught on with Jesus as their teacher. Yet they get to Emmaus and they're not convinced. They've enjoyed the conversation, they've learned a lot, but they're not convinced. They still haven't recognized Jesus. He acts as though he would go on and in the first century, it was unsafe to travel at night. You were expected to offer hospitality to strangers. And so the two did what was expected of them. They invited him, no, stay with us. It's almost dark. And Jesus stays and then he sits at the table with them. As far as we know, there's no more teaching, no more explanations, no doctrinal discussions. Jesus takes the bread. He blesses it and he breaks it. And the two recognize him. They recognize Jesus, not because of the facts, but because of the fellowship that they have around the table. 
When they have the chance to sit at table with Jesus, they discover who he is in such a way that transforms them, they immediately get up and run back to Jerusalem. They immediately run back to the disciples. They want to join back up with this movement that only hours ago they had deserted. It wasn't the facts that changed their mind, but the fellowship. That's the way it works for me a lot too. So often, it's the relationships with people, the fellowship that transforms me. That's hard for me to say because I'm a nerd at heart. I love the facts. I wanna be right. But if I'm honest with you today, the things that transform me are the things that affect the heart, that get into fellowship. I'll give you some examples from my life. Uh, I grew up in a middle-class neighborhood in Alexander City, uh, Alabama, uh, but right next door to our neighborhood was a housing project, uh, almost entirely African-American, uh, all lower income. As I got old enough in my childhood years to begin riding my bike around the neighborhood, my parents gave me permission to ride anywhere you want in the neighborhood, but they cautioned me, do not ride down into the projects. Now they meant well. The, there was some trouble that had happened in the projects and, and they were trying to keep me safe. But in my child's mind, I was trying to make up, I was trying to figure out what the difference is between my neighborhood and my next door neighborhood, the, the projects. And the thing that stood out to me the most is that all of my neighbors were white folks. And when I drove down the hill into the projects, all of those were African-American. So in my very young mind, I equated African-Americans with danger. It was the early 70s. A lot of people thought that way. Uh, I was taught that African-Americans were dangerous. Uh, and then I made it to first grade, uh, Jim Pearson Elementary School. My first grade teacher was a wonderful woman named Miss Darnell. Uh, Miss Darnell was African-American, and I'll be honest with you, I'm embarrassed to say this now, but as a very young child, as entering first grade, when I met my teacher for the first time, when I realized that her skin was darker than mine, I wondered what I had done wrong to get such a teacher. You see that early, don't go into the projects. That teaching that I had gotten along the road had led me one direction. But over the weeks and months that followed, I discovered that Mr. Arnell was a delightful teacher. She loved us deeply. She was like another mom to me. And my relationship with her began to override that earlier teaching that I had. See, it's all about the fellowship. That continued to happen other times in my life. When I, when I got to high school, uh, I joined the track team. Uh, you can't tell looking at me now, but I used to be kind of fast. And uh, so I signed on in 10th grade to the track team. Uh, when I showed up, I was one of four white guys on the team. The rest of the team was all African-American. Uh, but we practiced together and we rode the bus to meets together. We spent whole days together at meets and, and those other guys uh, became my family. We spent great times together. I often gave them rides home afterwards. We would hang out together. Uh, that time together in competition and riding to and from competition made them family. 
and relationship overpowered that other teaching that I had. Fellowship, actually getting to know people, transforms us. It's not just a racial thing. I've had it happen in, in all sorts of areas. Uh, when I was in fourth grade at Laurel Elementary, uh, one of the other guys in my class was looking through the, uh, looking through the uh, dictionary, trying to find dirty words. Apparently when you're fourth, in the fourth grade, dirty words in the dictionary is a fun thing. But he, he came across, uh, in, in the midst of all of these other words, he came across the word homosexual. And he was so excited to read the definition and then to come show it to some of the rest of us. And uh, as far as we knew, we didn't know anybody that was homosexual. It seemed strange to us. Uh, our parents were heterosexual. Our siblings were heterosexual. Uh, we naturally assumed that it was weird, wrong even. That early teaching that I got from my fellow fourth graders in, in Webster's Dictionary uh, taught me one thing. But as I grew older, as I got into my adult years, I built relationships with people that are LGBTQ. And I found them to be delightful, God-fearing people, many of them. I discovered that there was so much more to them than a couple of lines in Webster's Dictionary. They became my friends. They became family. And I was transformed. My ideas were transformed not just by the fact, but by relationships. Fellowship makes us new. It empowers us for a new way of living. It's also happened to me with other religions. Uh, too many people in our country, when we think of Muslims, the only thing we can think of is, is people who fly airplanes into buildings. Of course, that did happen. But I can think of horrible things that white Christians have done to other human beings throughout the centuries too. I would hate to be judged by what they did. Yet we have a way of saying that all Muslims must be evil because of what a few did. And so my teaching taught me to distrust people of that religion. Yet I've now had the chance to make some great friends out of, out of some Muslims. I discovered that they love their families and, and, and they love God. And the God that they say they love is also the God of Abraham, the God that we say we love. As I've spent time talking with them, I've discovered that I've been transformed. I've been transformed because of the power of fellowship. One final example, uh, Melissa and I, several years ago, had the opportunity to meet a young woman who was a pagan priestess. This woman actually leads worship to false gods, to pagan gods. Uh, that kind of threw me for a loop when I first learned it. I discovered as we talked together that she was actually more leery of me than I was of her. Uh, the reason is that what drove her to paganism was the way she was treated by the church. It was her church members growing up, the, the way that they acted towards her that caused her to look for something different. We spent several days together. And during those days, uh, I learned to love her. She learned to love me. 
and we were transformed. Some real healing took place there for her and really for me too as fellowship transformed us. I believe a little bit more into who God created us to be. Our longing for fellowship here proves its power. Right now, as you watch this from your shelter in place place, more than likely you are longing to be here, to be with all of your friends, for us to be together in worship. That longing proves how powerful fellowship can be. Uh, we want to lift our voices in song together. Just a few minutes ago, we heard Levada sing, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. As she was singing it, I couldn't help but think to myself, Oh, for 180 tongues to sing. It would be so good to be together. To share communion again, to, to pass the peace, uh, to walk around our sanctuary and greet lifelong friends. It would be so nice. We know deep down that there is something powerful and mysterious about fellowship. The two on the road to Emmaus were not convinced by facts. They were convinced by fellowship, by relationship. We long for that relationship now. But let me encourage all of us. Let's don't just keep that fellowship to ourselves. Let's don't share it only among our friends. We're Christ followers. Let's do what Jesus did. He chased down those who disagreed with him. He pursued those who doubted him and offered them fellowship. If we are truly Christ followers, shouldn't we do the same? Uh, pursue those. Develop relationships with those who may disagree with us. To get to know better, to build relationships with doubters, with atheists, with maybe just with people that don't like us. Who knows? As we develop fellowship, maybe transformation will happen. I believe that when we reach out in fellowship with one another, when we truly learn to love one another, when we gather at the table together, there we experience Christ. So may the Holy Spirit work through us to help us build community that will transform all of us into the image of Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm.